Welcome to this week's episode of the Wokecast. Now, this is a different and uh, I hope a fun episode in that we are without G this week. Unfortunately, um, a very close family member of hers um, lost her life to the coronavirus. Uh, RIP G's godmother and our thoughts and our prayers are with her at this difficult time. But joining me on this week's Wokecast, we've never done one of these not necessarily live, but, you know, together, the three musketeers, as it were, Shisanga Malata and Kairos join me on this week's episode of The Workcast. Welcome, my brothers, from another mother. Thank you very much for having me, Michael. Thank you for having me as well. I appreciate it. Well, you know, let's just get down to business because we do have a lot to discuss. But you know something? You know what we've never done before we, we, we proceed and we go headlong into the whys and wherefores of UFC 249, which I'm guessing will be our main discussion point for this week. I think it's only right that we kind of unpack the men, the myth, the legends behind uh, those names that we hear on a week-to-week basis. Just uh, state your name, gangster. And, um, you know, first off, just tell us a little bit about your background. So, Chisanga, over to you, first of all. Okay. Um, my name's Chisanga Malara, as many of you already know. Uh, and I'm a senior combat sports journalist at the Daily Star and Daily Express newspapers in London, England. Um, my journey with mixed martial arts started, I think, at the age of 13 when well, I was in the video shop. And uh, I think it was, I can't, I can't remember which Pride video it was, but that was when my fascination for MMA started. And then I eventually began covering the sport in 20, oh, I'm trying to think. In 2014, I started covering the sport for the Daily Star and Daily Express. And as as the cliche goes, the rest has been history. (laughs) How about yourself, Kairos? Oh, wow. (laughs) That's that's a tough deal to keep you. I'm Kairos Bodley. Um, I started my MMA journey pretty recently. Like, I I think, like, what, 10 years ago? I'm 24 right now. Yeah. I was a little bit older than you. But um, when you started, not, like, older in general. But anyway, sorry. Um, I'm a media communications major. Um... And I was just like working on different video projects at a young age. And I was like, oh, I wonder what fights like look like. Like when I was young, I wasn't really seeing a lot of violence growing up. So I went on YouTube and I typed in um, just street fights or whatever. And lo and behold, a video of pride comes in. I forget who it was, but someone was straight up soccer punting someone on the floor. And I was like, wow, I, my world has changed. And since then, I started watching mixed martial arts. I saw blood and I craved it, I suppose. And uh, ever since then, I've been trying to use my degree well, my ongoing degree, I should say, to uh, get to that point. So I want to either do like public relations or somewhere around social media management for any fight promotion. You know, it doesn't have to be the UFC. It doesn't have to be Bellator. It could be Combate Americas. It could be uh, ACA. It could be anything, you know. I just, I'm appreciative for this sport and this game, and I want to give back. Nice. Well, you know, I have no doubt that in the um, coming months, uh, some of your skill sets will be drawn upon as uh, the landscape I feel is going to change and change dramatically but you know something let's just get down to business because I wouldn't mind finding out and probing and actually you know giving each of us a platform on which we can actually share our views on you know first off the relative merits of holding an event because when you think about it we are in the midst of a global pandemic but there has been one man one man who has stood above the shoulders of others and is adamant that the show 
must certainly go on. We're talking about Dana White. He wanted to hold an event during a global pandemic. Now, first off, is there any merit to what he's doing? Because from where I'm sitting, you know, as we are effectively in the UK on, on lockdown, I feel that we need a break from the drudgery of lockdown and police statery and obfuscation and bungling and ineptitude of our government. But I feel that this shouldn't be at the expense or the detriment of athletes. And let's be honest, they are, you know, by and large underpaid, undervalued, and the lack of communication that they receive definitely is an afterthought in many major fight announcements. I just feel for the athletes, really, who it would seem are compelled to work under these circumstances. And in particular at this time, it's an opportunity, I feel, this actual global pandemic presents an opportunity for promotions, particularly um, those who call themselves the leaders in this sport, to step up and look after their athletes. So, I mean, over to you, Chisanga. I mean, where do you see it? How do you see it? What's your view on the relative merits of holding an event? As uh, as much of a, of a pick-me-up as, as we all need at, at this moment in time, and I think that we're going to need in the coming weeks and months to come, I... I, as, as I said to you in our correspondence over the, the last few days, I just think it's it's a very short-sighted and almost uh, boneheaded decision to to press to to just plow forward aimlessly and try host a card as if it's business as usual when we're in the midst of uh, a crisis which we haven't seen for for over a century and a crisis which is yet to even hit its peak, right? Um, as I, I, I refer to my previous point there, as much as everybody would like to see even just casual sports fans and casual mixed martial arts fans in general and just sports fans in general who are craving just some sort of live action and not replays of classic fights or classic football matches or whatever, I just I couldn't get on board with the idea of risking the lives of the athletes and not just the athletes the the UFC staff members, the arena members, and all their respective families, just for the sake of putting on putting on what what is the most anticipated fight in the light, in the history of the lightweight division for putting on fights in general. I just couldn't get on board with the idea. And yourself, Carlos, where do you stand on this? Um, yeah, surface level. When I first saw this, I thought, okay. Dana White is kind of being a little egotistical, but I can't speak to his motivations. I don't know, like, what what's the driving force behind him wanting to do this. And I said it was a bad idea, like, a few weeks ago, and everyone's just, like, straight up rolling on me for it. But I stand my ground. I think that the only way that this would be a great idea is if MMA truly was a single sport where you didn't have a team training you through your cancer. You didn't have people coming and giving you your nutrition, your meals, your dietary needs, your weight cutting, all that sort of stuff. It's like... Do you understand how much it takes for these people to stay afloat during fight camps? Like, there's no way you can isolate that to, oh, well, an island's a quick fix. Like, what about the 50 people you're bringing to the island? You don't, you can't speak to what they did and what they came in contact to before getting there. And it's like, well, the UFC says they're screening people. People don't realize that screening is just asking questions. They didn't say they were testing these athletes for it. They said they were screening them. So it's just, it's a lot of word games and like hook and ladders and shade games and playing chess while everyone else is seeing checkers. And it's just like, why can't we just hold off? Okay. The XFL just shut down. Like they're the, the promotion's gone forever. The UFC can wait. <laughs> the NBA season's done. The uh, lacrosse, college lacrosse, college sports, everything is done. 
just hold off. What do you have to prove that you can withstand what others can't for good reason? Because they aren't willing to set people's lives at risk for entertainment. Come on. That's all I got to say. <laughs> you know, uh, just picking up on something which you just said earlier, Chisanga, really and truly, is Dana White not doing his job? You talk about, you know, him um, doing this in the midst of a pandemic to the detriment of, of the athletes, but isn't part of his job actually to keep these athletes busy and to, by hook or by crook, put on these fights? No, I, I agree with what you're saying. Obviously, he's, yeah, each, each year he's contractually obliged to give fighters, let's say, an average of, of three fights a year. So he is doing his job in that sense. But given the, the extreme circumstances in, in which we find ourselves in, one would think that common sense would prevail and that he would either give his fighters a stipend or, 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 or something to keep them afloat and not contemplate risking their lives and the lives of everybody else that they come in contact with for the sake of fighting. And let's not uh, forget as well, they'll be fighting under duress and fighting with being counts behind them, if you think about it, because this started, I think quarantine started, well, over here, it started three weeks ago or whatever. And I know a lot of fighters tapered down in the last few weeks or whatever, but you still need to get those hard rounds in and, and everything. And particularly with Tony and Habib, Habib, uh, Tony, sorry, needs to be practicing being on the bomb for for long periods of time and you can only do that with sparring partners as well but obviously he can't do that in the current climate so i agree i agree with the notion of what you're saying that dana's just doing his job but at the same time he's doing it incorrectly and again just before we move on um carlos something you said there earlier about you know a vocation which you want to move into and that is it it it's underpinned really by drawing eyes to a product. Is this not an opportune time considering the wasteland that we've got in terms of no sports um, so that people can actually feast upon sports? Isn't this the opportune time to actually do that? Yes. And there's so many different routes that you can take this path. You don't have to say, all right, great. I'm pulling up to your house and we're going to spar in front of everybody on Instagram. It doesn't have to be that drastic. It can be we live stream game each other. It can be we compete in each other's garages, not in the same garage, but like I'm at my live streaming in a party with you and we're competing. Who's going to do the most uh, reps on whatever? Like there's so many intrinsic ways that you could possibly bring eyes to the sport and keep people entertained that doesn't involve us going to a central location and exchanging blood and sweat and hopefully not getting infected. I think that the NBA took a route with this. They had two players just play NBA 2K with each other, and they were um, talking trash, talking about the current state of the world, talking about everything, just and interacting with fans. Like, all right, that's a small thing, but it goes a lot. It does a lot for people who are watching the sport and who love basketball. Like, I guarantee you that there are so mm. many people who are glad to digest that versus not digesting anything whatsoever. Wow. You know, I hadn't actually thought of it from the point of view of, you know, taking it onto another level and instead of giving people what they're used to seeing doing things from a different perspective you know i mean speaking of perspectives what are your views on the speed at which the ufc are able to create a card and you know this notion of an island um being readied for future events now to be honest with you i'm impressed by the speed i'm perturbed though 
by the additional resources seemingly at Dana White's fingertips. I'm talking about money. It seems like to make this event a viable option in the future, I, I take a note of Dana's words in that, first of all, he's talking about putting resources, particularly money, towards an island. And it just strikes me that if there is this money available, surely, you know, going back to his own words in that he wants to help as many fighters as possible, that doesn't say to me all of them. Now, if there are these resources available, why not help everybody? But just going back to my original question, you know, what are your views on the speed at which the UFC were able to create this card? And I have to say, it was a, it was a very, very uh, intriguing card at that for UFC 249. And, um, you know, the speed at which he was able to create that card, what were your thoughts on that? Um, I, was, I was shocked. I, I, I really was shocked that some of the fights that they managed to, to put together in such short notice. When, when Dana said they, it, essentially they were doing a reshuffle, I was skeptical. I was like, there are going to be so many fighters who, who are training in quarantine, but who won't be fully conditioned or will be having subpar training camps or whatever. But a lot of the, a lot of the people stepped up and obviously you still had major parts of the, uh, of the, the two, four, original 249 card. Initially, the Rosenami Yunus fight with uh, J- Jessica Andrade and then the Calvin Cater, Jeremy Stevens. So there were some, there was some framework for the card already, but nonetheless, I was impressed with in which the speed in which Dana managed to put these fights together. But it's, I, now that I say that, he almost definitely gave the fighters who did step up some sort of extra incentive. I don't know what it would have been. Maybe it would have been their regular purse plus half. Is their is their show money if you know what I mean, but um, and part part of me thinks that because in the interview he did with ESPN's Brett Okamoto, he also said that everybody who stepped up, he's gonna take care of them in, in an extra way. So yeah, I, I I was I really was shocked with what Dana said uh, about Dana's ability to put this together really quickly, and I'm actually gonna stop doubting him when he says when he says things now. And what were your thoughts on the this mythical island, this fight island, which uh, does seem to be being built in the background? <laughs> it's very, it's very, um, what's the Bruce Lee film? It's very Enter the Dragon, if you know what I mean. The, the notion of bringing the best fighters <laughs> in the world into, <laughs> into a tournament and, yeah, and on, a, on a remote island. I initially went, I, I think that the first tweet, I, I woke up early in the morning, I picked up my phone, I saw Desert Island or, island or whatever, and, I thought that I was still fast asleep and I just put my phone back down and then I went to sleep for like another 40 minutes. But when I woke up, I was absolutely stunned. I was just thinking, how on earth does he manage to acquire an island in such short notice? But, but then I did a bit of research and I, then I, was, I, was, I looked into some of the, uh, the, the clients that Endeavor have and some of the people who they represent. And Ed, Eddie Murphy and Tyler Perry are both represented by uh, WME IMG, who are now part of the Endeavor Group because of the, the reshuffle or the renaming. And both of those gentlemen own private islands. And both of those gentlemen are good friends yeah. with uh, Ari Emanuel. So that's, that's, that's my inner Columbo doing my, my work and <laughs> my, my due diligence <laughs> and investigating. So if it happens, I wouldn't be surprised if it happens on one of those two islands. So, Kairos, your views on the speed at which the UFC were able to create this card and 
this notion of an island being readied, what are your thoughts? Yeah, a lot of people, a lot of people really think Dana White is dumb. You aren't the face of a promotion for almost three decades being dumb. I like, I refuse to believe that this man is dumb. And this whole pandemic wasn't the catalyst for this island to happen. I believe this was premeditated. I believe that he was looking for some way to unveil either a new year for the UFC or a new event. And this just forwarded the timeline. We saw him starting this whole thing of dumping money into Performance Institute. So it proved that he could do it. He did it, I believe, in Hawaii. He did it in, I think there's one going to China. He's done, he dropped PIs all over. So I was like, what's the next step? Probably him putting some uh, a PI somewhere where maybe a governing body organization can't have hold over what he's doing as well. Because at the end of the day, he wants to have his own private enterprise. He wants to make sure he controls all the inner workings because what person wouldn't want to control what they contribute and create to? So I'm sitting here connecting the dots, conspiracy theorying, and I'm just like, this man planned to do this the whole time. This pandemic just was the ultimate opportunity <laughs> for him to unveil it. This man is a genius. And but but before we before we go further. He is a genius. I think he's a genius. But it was just the if this pandemic wasn't going on, we probably wouldn't have heard about it. But at the same time, because it's going on, it gave him the opportunity to unveil. I think it's a genius idea. I just don't think you need to be putting people's lives at risk, though, at the same time. If this was a disease that was transmitted, I don't know, um, through uh, hereditary like gains or maybe someone being born that's like, all right, great. We don't have to worry about people transmitting this through combat or through contact with each other. So great. We can unveil this event, even though the rest of the world's on lockdown. But because that is not the case, I think this is just a bad opportunity. I'm telling you, this man had this planned out. I promise. There's no way Daniel's just like, oh, I guess we got to find an island or a Native American reservation to put this spin on. No, <laughs> this man had this on the calendar. He's in his journal. Like, this man is not dumb. I promise. That's all. So just just on that point, then let's just take this on just to entertain your your notion that he had this in the back pocket all this time. Why is there then this constant conflict between fighters, managers, and the UFC about the level of pay? If there is this magnitude of resource, you can buy an island, or you can buy the infrastructure to create a a fight island. If there is this resource available. Why is there this constant back and forth then between fighters, managers, and the UFC? I think there's that? multiple levels to it. One, that's the reason why there ain't no money to pay y'all because we already spent it on an island. We spent it on a rocket ship, so we're gonna be fighting on the moon next week. But the other thing is, you can't. <laughs> I realized this earlier on. I was like. There are a lot of people who love to fight. There are a lot of people who love to compete. But at the same time, there are people who do it as a necessity to survive. Some people can't, don't have mm. tools to make a living any other way. So for the people who have no choice but to fight, you're relying on them solely to say, all right, I'm going to compete this week. I'm going to pull a cowboy. I'm going to pull an Angela Hill. I'm going to pull a Neil Magny. People who compete every other month because they love it and they want to move up and they want to make money. But there's also people who don't need to. So what's the best way to ensure you compete and repeatedly come back to me? Decrease the amount that you're going to gain by competing and winning. So I think it's multiple levels to it. And at the same time as well, I think it's – you have to also think of it like this. I want to ensure that you are always going to be coming back to me. And maybe that's not the case for everybody. But I think that's the case for the most of the people who are on the bottom 50% of the UFC roster. Like Dominic Reyes has a younger brother. Guarantee you he ain't getting paid 75 and 75. Guarantee you he's probably not being taken care of while all the other top fighters are taken care of because they've already been compensated or they're being compensated in the process. You know what I'm saying? So I think that he's just, he's trying to make sure he ensures the survival of his business by making sure exciting fighters have to continue to compete because they're struggling 
by pay, by making a paycheck to paycheck in between fights. But I could be wrong. I could be crazy. But that's what I think. So talking about future viability, that kind of like segues back to something which um, Jasanga touched on earlier. If this is about different strands, if this is about being clever and um, future-proofing your business, then surely when you think about it from a maintenance point of view, this is going to take money to maintain this new fighter island. This is going to take money to actually market, promote and distribute and actually fly people over there in terms of crew, in terms of fighters, in terms of resources, which you're going to have to, things like the cage and whatnot, that you have to actually transport. In terms of future-proofing, surely with reports of the company, you know, paying out what the dividend, I think it was something like 300 million. Now that in itself is a hefty wedge. Now park that, then you have Fighter Island. This isn't future-proofing if this, when you think about it, amounts to another expenditure. So just to kind of like pull together the question, if this is about diversifying in terms of the product and what it looks like, is this sustainable, given what we now know in terms of how much they've spent? Mm, well, yeah, I, I do believe, I, rem- I can't remember where the report was from, but you are right with the figure. It was something like 300 million dollars that they paid out to their investors which couldn't come at a worse time for them because obviously they were assuming oh yeah everything is going to be going on we're still going to have all our 12 pay-per-view cards we're still going to be getting that espn money yeah and mm. well now, now that you say that the conspiratorial side of me is is come out now the car has said that dana white's had this plan for a private island maybe to host the next series, season of tough i don't know tough private island or whatever but uh yeah so I, I don't think it's sustainable because if... Okay, I don't think he's bought an island. I think he's probably just leasing the island from somebody. But at the same time, to lease an entire island, to pay for the electricity, to pay for, heck, even running water in the facility or whatever, it's going to cost an absolute fortune. So it doesn't, it doesn't point towards the, the, the idea being sustainable. But... Perhaps maybe their uh, their revenue is a lot more than they've actually let on, and there's a lot more cheese in the bank. So I feel that I, I I just in the back of my mind, I just want to ask you this because I'm intrigued by your 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 potential answer. We're all geared up for UFC two four nine. I feel as though you know. Um, a lot of people, just like ourselves, were eagerly anticipating, you know, sitting down to actually watch UFC 249. Now, when I say that, you know, a lot of people were eagerly anticipating this, I, I'm, I'm assuming that everybody was either on the side of they don't want the uh, event to actually happen because of safety reasons, but they'd watch it, or they didn't want the event to go ahead, and if it did take place, they wouldn't watch it. Which side of the fence were you on? I mean, come, you know, um, April 18th, would you have been sitting down with any comfort? Um, I would have been sitting down pretty comfortably because April 18th is actually my birthday. As soon as I saw that, yeah, as soon as I saw ah, that this fight was on April 18th, comes. I was like, this is not going to happen. I was just like, I just knew it. I just, I just knew it wouldn't be happening. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I would have, I would have fallen in the latter category. 
Look, uh, I'm pretty sure I made my, my feelings clear on this, that I didn't want the fights to be going ahead in such a tumultuous time. But at the same time, as an MMA media member, it is my job to, to report on events that are going, going on and the, the prelude to, to each event. So I, I would have sat down and watched it. I wouldn't have been necessarily comfortable with it, but given the fact that we're still learning a lot about this virus and how it's transmitted. And I watched the film Con- Contagion last night with Kate Winslet, so that's made me even more paranoid about, <laughs> about everything. So, like, as, as, as I said there, I, I would have watched it. I would have probably enjoyed the Tony and Habib fight if that was, or the Tony and Gaethje fight, but I wouldn't have been 100% comfortable. Yeah, I'm not gonna lie. Um, I wasn't. I wasn't gonna be like, yes, we really need this fight right now. But that's how I felt. I, I was. I legit was like, we need this fight. But at the same time, when I realized that people were dying, I was like, no, nah, we should push it back. But in the event that the UFC did have that event, you better believe I'm watching it. I'm not gonna sit here and lie and say, no, I'm not gonna watch Tony and Habib fuck their lives. I'm gonna watch it. I'm gonna enjoy it. In fact, I don't support mm. what they're doing. But I love the sport too much to say, yeah, I'm not going to watch this event. And I'll just wait on Twitter to see the re- results. I'm sorry. I'm not in the, I'm not Malcolm and Martin on this topic yet. I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I'm with Chisanga, though. I, you know, to a certain extent, um, it would have been a bit of a discomfiture to sit through it, knowing that, you know, no one really knows um, the fullest extent of how this virus is actually working. I mean, there's a lot of speculation at the moment, and I do feel as though, you know, we are actually finding our way through this. And that's the, the, the frightening thing. We don't know the full extent of this virus. Now, from a media point of view, though, I, I do have a, a responsibility to actually report on the event. So that's why I would have been sitting down to it. But you know, I, I, I'm intrigued, though. We're now at a stage where this has been postponed. What are your thoughts on the postponement of 249 and how Disney and ESPN actually handled standing uh, Dana down? Um, I don't know if you watch South Park or, or, or <laughs> maybe I'm too immature about this, but there's uh, they, they often bring out an angry, uh, <laughs> angry Mickey Mouse in <laughs> In South Park, and I can just imagine like an angry Mickey Mouse coming down to Dana White on the phone and saying, "You gotta cancel this. It can't go on. It can't go." On. Like, <laughs> but yeah, basically, yeah. As 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 soon as the the mainstream, and I mean the mainstream mainstream media, started reporting about uh, ESPN, uh, ESPN and uh, UFC's plans to hold the event at Tachi Palace, I knew the writing was going to be on the wall then because. Disney, this 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 family friendly company, for, which has been running for generations and generations, can't be associated with a company that's taking such risks and putting lives in in danger. So I think I, I can imagine the phone call just went like a, a top e, uh, ESPN exec said, "Look, we've got the call from ESPN. You have to stand down. You you have to postpone it." And Personally, I think that what they should have done to save face, if they, if Dana even could have saved face in this situation, is just can- they just said they've cancelled the whole event and they've cancelled all shows in- indefinitely. But the bullish Dana White, as he as he always is, was like, "Oh yeah, well this show is postponed, but we're going to be back up and running in four weeks. Like, come back to me in four weeks, we'll have fights." <laughs> it's yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, Disney doesn't give a Carol? damn about Just Bleed. They got a, they got imagination kids. Like, <laughs> I don't understand. I really don't understand how. <laughs> I just was talking about how genius Dana White was 30 minutes ago, but he almost dropped the ball. We literally almost lost Tony versus Zabib. Let's just say Tony versus Gaethje happened and Gaethje slams this man in one round. That win streak, that seven-year undefeated streak is done. Now, now what are we going to do? Oh, well, Tony's fighting him coming off a loss here. Nope, Gaethje has to fight him, and now Tony has to get a win. So you almost ruined the most anticipated MMA fight of all time. I can't go that far. You almost ruined the most anticipated lightweight fight of all time. You guys get what I'm trying to say, though. You get what I'm trying to say. It was a very anticipated fight (laughs) that we almost didn't have because Mm -hmm. a fighter may not have come through it. Like, I just... Disney did, did Disney did us a solid. And I one thing that I really wanted to point out though is that we're in a huge transition period coming up for the UFC. The while we think the doors are closing on them, the Reebok deal's about to be up. We had to deal with Reebok for what seven years because <sighs> we needed it. We needed it to take us to the next level. We didn't want it, but we needed it to legitimize the sport. Similar to how they had the malt liquor deal back in 2000. <laughs> like it was something that to get us to where we're trying to get to. And I realize the doors are starting to open now. So we're going to see a lot more opportunities for the UFC. Maybe we, maybe they have more money than they've let us on to be. Maybe they don't. But the door for them to have it is going to open. We aren't going to have clothing deals with companies who spell your names wrong, who have you as Aldo Silva or Anderson Aldo. We aren't going to have Jermaine Durandamy in the men's <laughs> section for the clothes. You know what I'm saying? We're going to have legitimate options there. We're going to have video games. Like, the door's opening for the UFC. It's the future couldn't be even more brighter. We don't have to stunt that growth by trying to put jumpstart events in the next four weeks when other organizations aren't going to be doing it. Be patient. Patience is a virtue. You know, despite what the fans say, I have to say, Glee wasn't an emotion that I felt when I heard about the postponement. I've got to say that, well, embarrassment I, I do have to say, was a feeling that, you know, washed over me. I, I, if I'm really honest, I, I did feel a sense of embarrassment because Dana White had to be told how to act right instead of raising mm. the bar with exemplary behaviour befitting the world's number one promotion. Now, for me, this kind of like reaffirmed that Dana, like it or not, does have bosses. Partners don't tell you what to do. You usually work with partners, not for them. Now, it appears that Dana certainly isn't the alpha in this structure that he'd like us to believe. And I genuinely felt embarrassed for him because this was a genuine opportunity for him ahead of the curve to say, you know what, this is the bar that you other Bush League promotions have to reach. We are shutting down all of our... um, forthcoming cards until further notice until we get ahead of this curve flatten the curve and you know less people you know and um, continue to die because at the moment from the last tally i, I saw the evening news there are twenty thousand people dead in the united states of america alone now that to me should be kind of uh, well that for me is a solitary warning that you need to respect this virus and you need to do things a little bit different than you no, would. No, I'm in complete agreement with that. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. I'm in complete agreement with that. I'll let you go back to what you're saying. No, no, I was, I was just going to, to go on to the fact that, you know, the media 
you know, they, they, they are seemingly bearing the brunt of a cascade of fan backlash. That's why it kind of like links back to what I was saying about feeling embarrassed. People seem to feel as though media are relishing or were relish, relishing the, po- the, 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 the possibility that this um, event would be postponed. And when it was postponed, it kind of like reaffirmed in their mind that that's what we wanted all along. Now, the fact is... Um, this fan backlash, I have to say, has been spearheaded by Dana. Does his view that, you know, certain MMA fighters um, and managers also hold that media and journalists should be blackballed in the near future because they are somehow to be um, held responsible for this? Does that actually not, 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 not whatsoever. But one thing, I'm going to preface everything uh, that I'm saying with this statement. Dana White is very, very, very good at dictating the narrative, which is lapped up by those. Okay, let me let me think of a nice way of putting this. <laughs> those who can't think for themselves that well, <laughs> perhaps. <laughs> those who, are, yeah, uh, um, expect backlash. That's all. <laughs> no, but yeah, he's he's very good at, at setting the narrative, and it's subconsciously or consciously, people people take that and then as, as you say he's he's he's, start, he's perpetuating the notion that us media members have been trying to get this shut down mma media members who rely on big pay-per-views just to pay our bills to keep our lights on that we are intentionally trying to sabotage this card to sabotage well what was initially tony habib a fight that we all wanted to see for nearly five years and it just it was it was just baffling it it it, it was a typical it was, it, was a, it was a typical, almost like a bully deflecting the heat from themselves. They're like, oh, these are the real people and making this, making people out, making us media members to be scapegoats. And to a certain extent, he, he almost did that, well, intentionally or unintentionally, he almost did that with Habib. Habib was, was, became a figure of, of hate for pulling out of the fight during the midst of a global pandemic and, and for going back to Russia when he doesn't know if he's going to see his family again or whatever. But that's that's a, that's a whole nother point. But Dana's Dana's comments, I, I think most of the MMA community, in particular on Twitter, most of them understand and they realize that this isn't the fault of the media and that we aren't the ones to be blamed. But I just think it's the minority who are very very vocal and people stupidly retweet them, who firmly believe. <laughs> sorry, brother, who, who, who firmly believe that we are to blame for the fourth part of the year falling apart. <laughs> Listen, here's, here's my issue. Okay. I just, I want to reiterate this so people don't drill mm. me for this. I just told y'all I am so great for this sport and I love it so much. But here I go. Our fan base, we, when we realistically look at it, what, our fan base originated what 1993 we haven't gone through a lot of growth pains as far as understanding the reality of combat and the reality of sports in general because a lot of our fans typically don't watch many other sports you got people who maybe watch basketball maybe watch football there's but compared to like an nba fan those guys probably watch multiple other sports those guys are watching baseball basketball soccer whatever we only watch MMA, so we have only seen sports and organizations act like operate within the vacuum of what our MMA space does for us. And I feel like a lot of people who just don't know how the rest of the world works and operates are very clueless to the fact that the person who runs the organization runs the storyline. Yes. 
they make bad calls, but at the end of the day, you can't punish the media for doing their job. You can't punish people for doing their jobs. I mean, I'm not going to go off on a tangent, but I just think it's so funny. I just think it's so funny that you're going to blame people for telling the truth about someone doing something that they probably shouldn't do. I just think that's funny. So just to take this on, just uh, I, 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 again, looking at this from uh, another angle, um, threats are actually out there at the moment. They're out there on Twitter. Mike Biggie Rhodes and uh, manager Jason House. And now I'm paraphrasing now, but they were effectively saying the same thing. They're both pondering whether athletes should give their time to detractors of 249. And, you know, coincidentally, uh, I read Luke Thomas uh, tweeted... I think it was either today or yesterday, to say he's already, um, well, coming up against closed doors. Doors are being shut, and um, it would appear there is some correlation, there is some relation to what has actually been touted by quite a few people, and that is, you know, athletes. Maybe they shouldn't be giving their time to people who spoke ill, in their words, or in, in their minds, of 249. What do you make of that? You know, when an athlete like Mike Biggie Rhodes says, you know, maybe we shouldn't do oh, like I, 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 I saw that tweet. I think it wasn't, it, was, it wasn't yesterday. It was the day before. And it, 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 it truly, it truly, it, it, okay. it shocked me. Because as, as Kyrus was saying, you can't begrudge a journalist for, for doing their job and being impartial and calling things as it is. As, as a journalist, for, for me, I think it's, it's ethically wrong to, if, if there's fear of being blackballed or, or, or fear of being ostracized, I think it's ethically wrong to, to not pursue a story or not call things as they are just because you don't have access or in this instance, you won't get a cage size seat or you won't get a, an interview with a main eventer of a, of a big card. I've, I've been in positions where the UFC have asked me to change stories and I've, I've held my ground and I've, I, yeah, I've, I then found myself a back row of a press event or at the, or at, or at the vice. Yeah. Um, wow. But at the same, at, at the same time, I'm not going to sacrifice my own principles just for the sake of, uh, well, a, a better seat in the house or, or, or better access or whatever. I think this is an important conversation to have in terms of your principles and integrity versus the, I guess, the route that your career and professional and in private is going to go. Like, I believe that there's a, there's a line, there's a line of, all right, well, I'm going to, I'm going to play ball or I'm going to continue the status quo to a certain extent. But when we're talking about lives, I don't, I don't understand why you should be applauded for that. And I'm glad you brought that little anecdote up about your personal careers, because it really begs the question. So the people who are sitting in the front who would ask questions consistently and who are always called upon first to ask these questions, does that mean they're reinforcing the story that the UFC wants us to know every single time, time in and time out? That's the question that went through my head as soon as you said that, because now I'm like, I don't know, Mike Bond, who's the other guy? The Schmo, Okuma, like these people, the pillars are like, I don't know now. I don't, you got me doubting like people who I was like, oh, they, they seem like pretty cool people. So I just, 
I think that's a, an, an important pe- question like people in the media need to ask themselves before they go into the media, as well as people who are in the media already. Am I willing to sacrifice what I want to do for what's right? And it's admirable that you do that. And you shouldn't be punished for that. And at the same time, you shouldn't be looking for validation from fighters who are saying these fights should go on. or Oh, we shouldn't uh, allow media members to interview us because they didn't want this event to happen. Well, guess what? What happens if you would have died? What happens if someone close? What if your trainer died? They're of age, they have some complications, and they get the virus, then they die. Then what? So people just don't understand how important the world is and how important life is until it affects someone or something close to them, and that's the problem. Mm-hmm. You see that? I mean, speaking of problems, that does seem to be a recurring theme, regardless of whether we're talking about the UFC for. MMA promotions looking at media outlets and journalists as extended PR. Now, I get that they are trying to build the sport. So are we. But ultimately, journalists actually have integrity and a job, basically, which is governed by presenting the story as they see it based on fact. Now, one of the things that worries me is that it does seem to be an ongoing narrative regardless of which promotion we're looking at. We can't just point at the UFC as being the only outfit that does this, but this seems to be an ongoing issue, regardless of what promotion you're dealing with, that they do want to control the narrative. They do want positive PR. And where there is negativity, you will be made to pay for that. So how do you actually get a balance here? Is there such thing as a balance? Should there be a balance? Or is it down to just straight I think up it's down to the, the latter of the, of, the, of the tree or there. It's just, it's calling it as it is. It, yeah. I, for me, I just, well, most of my, most of my reporting now is, is, is done through Twitter and then I'll subsequently report it on the, the Daily Star websites or, or the Express. But it should just be instantaneous. You shouldn't be thinking about the question of, oh, will this annoy the UFC or will it annoy Bellator or will it annoy Combate Americas shouldn't come into the forefront of your mind. Like, I'll use an example for you. Uh, not that, this, that I, I did this, but I'm sure plenty of people did this. In fact, one outlet who did this, I'm, I'm not going to name names, but when Conor McGregor went in his rampage two years ago, you can't not report that. You have to. You have to call it what it is. How, how, how are you gonna How are you gonna sugarcoat that for, for the UFC so it's a good spin? Mm-hmm. If you know what I mean, you, you'd you'd be called a shill if you're just if you're radio silent on it. Or, or uh, for instance, like I I tweet about a, a lot of what Connor does because obviously a lot of what Connor does is is relevant to the entire sport in like or three or four weight divisions or you may say, but. If I was to not tweet anything about what he did two years ago, people would be like, oh, well, why aren't you tweeting the negative stuff that he's doing? Why aren't you, t- the, you only focus on the positive? So, yeah, I, I, as, yeah. As, as, as a media member, I think if you even have the inkling of, of thinking, oh, should I, should I not report this? Or what about, my, what about an event that's coming up in a couple of weeks? I might not get a seat. I might, not even, I might have a credential pulled. I think then you have to seriously question if you're in the right profession. I mean, speaking of professions, again, going back to you, Tyrus, this is something which you want to get into in terms of um, media as a profession. 
Now, when you hear these stories, I mean, there, there are loads to actually draw from. When you hear these stories, does that like give you kind of um, pause for thought in terms of whether this is something that you do want to pursue? Or does it kind of like make you dig your heels in and say, you know what? It reinforces the integrity. Um, I would love to come out and be like, yes, I'm going to keep my mentality. And I'm going to change the system by being in the system. <laughs> power, but that's not happening. <laughs> I knew this was the case, which is why I'm rerouting to what I want to do. I want to work with specific people and help them not make those mistakes. Or I want to work with people, help just create content for their fan bases, for those people, so I don't have to deal with those things. This reminds me of a, of a TV show, House of Cards. I know people are mad at Kevin Spacey, but the principle still stands the same. There's this woman who was investigating the vice president for murder, and he was mm. he was going to become president soon. And he was feeding her information to tell, disseminate to the public through her versus coming from his own mouth to dismay and confuse the public and and throw mud on people and sometimes shine lights on each other and, and just create utter chaos. But as soon as he was becoming president, he told her to drop the story about him wanting to murder someone. And then he actually did end up murdering her murdering someone and she continued to harp on the story over and over until she got railroaded literally because he pushed her on a railroad track and she got <laughs> ran over by a train now that's a little bit excessive but that's the reality of the situation you will get railroaded in this business if you aren't willing to play ball and i'm not saying <laughs> that you always have to put together puff pieces but i think it's important to understand you got to choose your battles yes it's important to be loyal but you don't have to be blindly loyal as well too so like if i wanted to be a reporter if i wanted to be in this community space Honestly, I would choose my battles. If it's something massive that the UFC is doing wrong, I would speak up on it. But on the little things, I'm not going to lie. I wouldn't, I wouldn't always report on it. Or I'd put a spin or I'd put a different perspective. Because at the end of the day, I do have a job to do. But also, I have to, I have to what do you call it, secure and make sure I maintain my status of living as well. That's true. And going back to oh, – I'm sorry, Michael, before, before uh, we talk about uh, I, I, people being railroaded. Remember, no, no, uh, remember when Arya Harani leaked the, the Brock Lesnar uh, announcement? Yeah, that's the that's the the main that's the main yes. uh, that that's well that's the main piece of evidence that attests to the fact that the UFC are willing to do that. They're willing to Kevin Spacey a journalist and push him in front of a, <laughs> of a train or whatever. Yeah, and it's if, if I and if it wasn't for the reach that Ariel has. Uh, I think he's like nearly got three quarters of a million followers on Twitter. And if if you think of the majority of them, you'd probably say 95% of those are UFC fans. I remember just seeing all the tweets. There was even like a trending hashtag of like free Ariel or whatever. And I think the UFC realized the, the gravity of the mistake that they made. And then obviously they reinstated his credentials for the future. But it just goes to show that if they're willing to do that to... Our, yeah, the, the biggest supporter that we we have in the in the sports history, they're willing to do that to anybody. You're absolutely right. I mean, we I I thought that we all had stories that we could draw on where, you know, we'd presented exclusives and um, been um, told off for actually releasing those because I've got one of my own actually. I remember. Um, it was actually one of um, my team, um, basically a guy who used to work with Woe TV. He um, found an exclusive story uh, from a promotion. I was called up by the PR stroke communications manager of that um, 
outfit and was asked to pull down the story, even though, you know, this has been tweeted and it was actually up on a website and um, we put it up on Facebook and I was asked to pull it down and I flat out said, no, this is a story which is going to stay there. And yeah, for two events, I was actually banned. I was actually blackballed. I was actually told I wasn't welcome. So, you know, I think those stories and those, those sort of journeys, I, I feel, does seem to be a, a, a staple of being a mixed martial arts journalist. But do you think, you know, with examples like these, as I say, I don't feel as though you and I, Chisango, aren't the only ones who are experiencing these types of, of um, interactions. Do you feel that, you know, an organisation like the Mixed Martial Arts Journalists uh, uh, Association, do you feel that they have teeth, they have power, where, you know, efforts or where episodes like this happen, they no, actually can I, actually I, ride I, in I, on I, your behalf? I, I really do don't. Have any power I, for, well, I, I haven't seen anything from them wow. at all. And I, I remember I was speaking to, I'm pretty sure one of the founding members, uh, Danny Austin, who I can't remember which uh, outlet he writes for in Canada, whatever, but he, not too long ago, it might have been maybe two months yeah. or so, he went on a lengthy tweeting spree about how this MMA, J, I've, I've messed up all the letters there or whatever, but this, this, this uh, journalist union is, uh, it's, it's, it's not done what it set out to do and it's not holding people accountable. Wow, that might be why you know, I don't know this for a fact, but it, it does seem very strange that they've been very quiet and very quiet for at least 18 months. I've not seen no, any No, I'm not a member, no. And uh, are you, did you say you're, you're, uh, you're a member as well? Okay. So about yourself, Kairos, I mean, do you think that, you know, that is really the solution to have an organisation which backs its members and for all the members to ride? So... We're all going to boycott. We're all not going to turn up at the next event where I mean, it sounds like a great has idea on the in theory and on paper, but the UFC has a way of getting around, and not not just the U, other organizations as well. But I'm going to give you some examples because of the UFC has done it so perfectly throughout the years. Remember when the fighters union was going on and Leslie Smith was trying to get fighters to unite with uh, what was it, with a few other fighters? There were, I can guarantee you. There was a lot of people, yeah. not guarantee you, I'm going to tell you this, Leslie was on a podcast talking about that there are specific fighters who would sign on to it, and then a week later when they would get together and start talking about their next moves, those fighters wouldn't show up and send them a nice email and say, hey, listen, I'm not interested anymore, I'm moving on. Guarantee you deposits were made. I can guarantee you deposits were made, decisions were like, we will give you this, this will happen if you let go of this fighters union. And I guarantee you that's the same thing that's going to happen to MMA media members. Like, you guys are lucky because you are pillars in the community. Ariel got it, he's a pillar in the community. People will defend him to the grave. You guys are pillars in your communities as well, as well as the UFC and MMA communities. So you'll get invited back. But if Kairos MMA does that, banned for life. You will never hear me talk about MMA. Like, it'll be raps for me. That's So that's what I think when I'm hearing about this sort of stuff. Because at the end of the day, they will find a way to control the story and they will find a way to control, control information because at, you have to be able to control information to have a successful business. Like businesses go belly under 
belly up, I should say, overnight, not just in combat sports, not just in sports in general, but in the world because of bad information. Oh, they're going to have a split. Oh, they're going to join together. Like, I remember when Bayer and Monsanto, two corporations that people say are from hell, when people heard that they were merging together, not merging, one was being dissolved in, within the other, it was a PR nightmare. Monsanto and Bayer got the brunt of it because it's fair. Their products have killed people for generations. And two of those two combining forces, it was just like, there's going to be hell to pay. And we, we saw their stocks drop dramatically overnight. And the UFC has to make sure that they do their damage control, but it's wrong. It's wrong. I'm not sitting here saying that it's right. It's wrong. So just finally, just to wrap up, just something which uh, just occurred to me throughout the course of our 50-odd um, minutes talking here. We really need to be looking at the future. And from where I'm sat, the future looks quite bleak. When you look at the economy as a whole, when you look at businesses uh, in, in particular, it's not looking like many businesses that we know, we're talking about household names, will survive. So what will the MMA landscape look like in terms of promotions, in terms of fighters? What will the MMA landscape look like in 12 to 18 months, do you think? Considering that, you know, they're saying that a actual antidote or an actual vaccine for the coronavirus won't be ready until... Um, I, I'm sure I saw the last at last report that they're looking at trialing oh, something in September. That's a, so what that's, that's a difficult one to, like? to predict, to be honest. Mm -hmm. um, to be honest, I think I, I think in the UK, I think well, I'll use example of the United Kingdom. I think we are probably gonna come out of this like lockdown regardless. I think by the end of May at the latest, and I think for, for the sake of the economy. They're gonna they're gonna send people back to work, send them kids back to school. I know I've got friends who are driving their kids are driving them up the walls right now, having having them at home. But back to back to the point of the, the MMA world, and I think the <laughs> other major major sporting leagues, and in particular because we're focused in the UK, I'll use the Premier League as an example. They're gonna get back to business as soon as possible. So I think the the mm. UFC, obviously, we, we've we've seen that they've been trying to just plow on foolishly I, I, I might add plow on foolishly so i think at the first opportunity that they get to get back to business they're going to do so bellator i'm not 100 percent too sure because obviously they they were the first promotion first western promotion to cancel an event so again i'm not too sure of the financial situation but i foresee them surviving it's other smaller shows like cave warriors that i'm a bit concerned about I think they might have to they, they might have to temporarily stop their business for a while and then recoup some of the losses. I don't know how they're going to do that. Perhaps they could get a cash injection from Zufa in the UFC. But yeah, I, I, I think it's I think it's going to be a bit a bit bleak. Like the smaller MMA promotions, they're going to take a massive massive hit, and I think we're just going to see potentially the UFC and Bellator and perhaps maybe Cage Warriors, if there's some sort of miracle that can happen there. I think they're going to be the main ones. And, and obviously 1FC in, in Asia as well, because they've got some of that cheddar over there. So, Cara, from a regional standpoint in, in the States, do you feel that, you know, quite a few regional promotions will be, um, well, looking at closure, considering that, you know, 
as I mentioned, for the economy as a whole, it's not looking too yes. good. Um, it's it's sad to say, but I, to say. I, I, I was thinking about the, an optimistic approach to this. I really do think we are going to lose a large amount of promotions. And I'm not just, and like you said, it's not going to be the staples in the United States. It's going to be backyard fights. It's going to be like, it's going to be promotions like that that are going to just dissolve because one, we've effectively mm. created a vacuum. Yes. So the demand is going to be there, but the consumer might not have money to pay for these events. They might not have money to watch and go out and buy merch when this is all over. So even though you have the product there ready and people want it, they might not be able to purchase it and buy into it. So like, it's, it's sad to say, but, um, yeah, I just, I don't see a scenario whereby a lot of these small organizations are going to be surviving and, It'll create another vacuum again for more organizations to pop up, but it's going to be sad. So, just before we wrap up, I think um, we basically um, should use this opportunity to let people know where they can find us on social media. Myself, you can find me on Twitter and continue any of the points, any of the parts of discussion or debate that you want with me i can be found on twitter um Mike if you want to follow me on on and twitter on instagram because i'm down with the kids <laughs> my uh my my ads are just my name is just chisanga underscore malata and I'm, i also have a youtube uh channel feel free to become the 28th 29th and 30th followers <laughs> Yes, um, you can find me on Twitter and uh, YouTube. And uh, I'm Kairos? doing some stuff now, too. I'm dropping a lot of stuff uh, under Kairos MMA. MMA is not for mixed martial arts, you guys. So stop trying to hark me on that. It's multimedia accounts, all right? Give me a break. <laughs> anyway, yeah, follow me at those. Um, if you want to follow me on Instagram, it's Kairos Bodley, <laughs> but I don't really post a lot of MMA stuff on it. That's most of my life. So if you care about that, follow me. I don't care. <laughs> Thank you so much. <laughs> so gents just before you go i'm intrigued just one last thing what's going to be occupying you considering that we as, as, as i mentioned in the uk at the very least we're on um you know uh, lockdown coming weeks what is so going to be occupying in you, the balcony uh, where where my girlfriend week? and i live there's been a leak above us for a long time and a lot of moss a lot of mosses accumulated in on our balcony so that would be my job wow. to, to get rid of the moss and to and to repaint uh the damage that has been done. <laughs> well, speaking of which, I'm going to be doing a bit of um, DIY stroke um, maintenance over the coming uh, week. I've got a, a massive tree in, in my garden, which, you know, obviously because of the lockdown, I can't actually get anybody to actually sort that out for me. So um, if you don't hear from me, you know what's happened. Because it's quite a tall tree and there are many branches which do need to be sawn. So <laughs> that's going to be occupying um, me. Two things. One, or I'm making least, sure I get back to work soon. Yeah, a few days. Uh, the yourself, other one Carlos? is um, I'm teaching myself some new skills. I'm learning skills from other people. You guys, you really got to do this. This is the opportunity. My friend started teaching me about stock trading. And we're not talking about long-term portfolios type of stuff. We're talking about weekly stock changing. And anyway, I won't go into details with it. But Here's the point. There's a lot of wealth exchanging hands right now. You have got ah. to take advantage. The people who come out on top are the people who are willing to mm. stick their necks out and learn new skills and learn new traits and learn new abilities and apply that to the current landscape. Like I'm doing videos for people online, charging them with feet. Like use your skills, use your passion to drive you through this. 
find things to distract you, stay, stay home, stay safe, do all those things because we don't know how long it's going to take and you might as well come out of this better than you already entered it. Man, I feel uplifted after hearing that. Uh, I need to make I'll some money. You on. Yeah, I, I want to hear more about these stuff. <laughs> we have a group, I have a group yeah. chat dedicated. I want to I wanna, I wanna, I wanna, I wanna get my wealth oh up. My, yeah, you got me so excited. Let's go. <laughs> Well, that about wraps up this episode of the WOCast. Um, I'm going to dedicate this episode to G, and I really hope that, you know, um, she does bounce back and bounce back soon. It's a, it's a tough world considering that, you know, a lot of people are now, you know, becoming a little bit more aware as to how serious and how much respect um, COVID-19 should be shown. And um, it seems like the closer we are to those people who are losing you know, their lives, we are actually, you know, well, finding out firsthand that, you know, this does need to be, does need to be respected and um, given it's due. Now, just before we go, I want to thank you gents for joining me. And I wanted to thank Thanks you very much, uh, Mike. for your kindness you. as well. Until next time. Okay, Pootie, uh, I'll play back the levels the way you said them. Say it on me. Bleed. Hey Mike, how you doing bud? Hope you're keeping well, staying safe. Um, I've got a question for both Mark and Stevie. Um, how do you both feel about the possibility of fighting in an empty arena or venue? Do you think it will have a positive impact or a negative impact perhaps? Or do you think it will bear no relevance on the way you guys are going to perform? Uh, I'd love to hear your thoughts and can't wait to see you scrap. Keep well, stay safe guys. <laughs>